type. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Welcome to the February 13th edition of Green and Growing on the Air just over a year. Hey, it's Ashley Frasca. Glad to be with you. Appreciate all of the experts that are part of the show. And we're going to have quite a few today and your calls as well. But we're going to talk to Walter Reeves at the bottom of the hour about birding and why, you ask, because this is the weekend of the great backyard bird count put on by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, the Audubon Society, and the Birds of Canada. And that's where we connect to birds and nature and with each other. Till Monday, February 15th, you can count birds and be a citizen scientist. And then you download this eBird app. We'll get into it a little bit more later in the show. But just 15 minutes of your time to count the birds, which types, how many. It's going to be really awesome. So we'll talk about that. And also in hour number two, I'm going to replay a conversation I had with Joe Lample, Joe Gardner, about starting seed a few weeks back. But now is the time to be doing that. If you're ready, you can start seed for those vegetable crops that you're going to want to be growing out in the garden. But now we're going to take your calls calling from Augusta, Georgia this morning. We say good morning to Brandon. Hey, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks. I have a magnolia tree uh, kind of on my property line, but it's right up underneath the uh, power line and trying to get it before it gets too big. It's, I don't know, probably about five foot tall now. But uh, I was wondering what's the best time to transplant it and how far out from the base should I dig uh, during that transplant? So that should be pretty manageable, five feet tall for you to be able to do it. And you do it now. Now is a great, great time um, all the way through really early spring is a good time to transplant anything. This has gone somewhat dormant, so I would do that now, Brandon. Um, And always when transplanting a tree, you want to dig the new hole first, right? Leave the magnolia where it's at. Put all your energy into the hole wider than seems necessary, though, so that the roots can spread without crawling. Uh, remove any of the grass to just make that a really nice area to be able to put the magnolia in. And then dig up your tree. Go pretty far out. Always, They always say, like, maybe go almost out to the drip line of the tree. That seems pretty far, but at least two feet out all the way around the trunk, at least two feet out when you're taking the roots of that magnolia out you want to make sure you get as many as you can if any of them look damaged or dried or whatever you can hand prune those plop the tree into the new hole while you're you know you've got some help i'm sure with it being so large but don't only handle it by the trunk too like try to maneuver it almost like a joystick with the trunk but also your hands kind of down around the root ball so you're not going to do any damage to it but don't plant it too deeply you only really want to go you know, about as deep with the new hole as it is right now. You want to leave that root flare up above the ground, um, and you should be fine. And also, like, the Arbor Day Foundation, they kind of recommend in the new hole, if you're able to kind of construct like a like a water-holding basin around the tree, kind of, in a little ways out from the trunk, if you're able to just kind of let that area be like a little water reservoir, that's going to be a little easier for it to soak up some water than it needs initially. It really needs good watering to establish properly. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time. I was a little uh, concerned with the weather and stuff. I didn't want to 
the roof could be exposed to any cold weather or freezing if it, if it was going to damage it. But it does. Going freezing yeah, and it seems counterintuitive that this is really a good time to plant new trees and shrubs, but they're very, very hardy. And of course, like a two inch layer of mulch or something on top of that's really going to help protect it too. You know, if, if any of the roots are just barely above ground or something, that mulch is going to be really protective. Thanks for the call. Good luck. Quite a task. 404 872 to get in to Green and Growing. And Santa Charlie calling from Florida. That's the number he dialed, and here he is. Well, you, you are a quick study. i got to tell you that. You, you're the best. Oh, Charlie, thanks. Yeah, I mean, we've talked well, for you years. Do, you are. I mean, you just took up real good on this show. I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm proud for you and proud for your parents because I know they're proud of you. <laughs> they are. They, they are. And, I mean, I really have them to thank if I think about it. You know, you had grandparents or you had an aunt and uncle or somebody in your life that really made an influence on you. And at the time when I was a kid, my parents did so much yard work that it was kind of like, ah, I got to wake up early on a Saturday or Sunday and go help them in the yard. And I was an only child, so (laughs) they didn't have any other labor. It was just me. So, I mean, at at the time, I wish I had paid more attention, but it seemed like a chore when I was 11, 12, 13 years old. But uh, them and then always hearing conversations my mom would have with her older sister in Texas. They would share plants. They would share experiences, things that Aunt Maureen was successful with in Texas that mom would want to try to grow here because she's a transplant from Texas. So, yeah, uh-huh. you think back and kind of think who influenced you. And, and my parents definitely had a, a huge influence on me and tried so many different plants and, I mean, had success with most of them because they took the time to care for them, you know? Yeah. I'm an only child, too. It's it's rough. It's a rough life, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Well, So how can I help you today? My pineapples, we had a freeze down here a couple of weeks ago, and the freezes down here don't, they're not like up there in Atlanta. They come in during the night, and by eight thirty nine o'clock, it's already 70 degrees. But it did zap my pineapple plants. I was going to put the stuff over them again, have it so labor-intensive to only get one little pineapple off of them. And I'd had some experiments going on with it because they say you're supposed to take the pups off mm-hmm. and, and put them in the ground. So I left a pup on one of the plants just to see if it would come another pineapple off of the mother plant that it was on but now they're all tanned looking out there so i don't know i figure i'm just going to start buying pineapples eating them and well you know they are they are a fun one to try for sure it is labor intensive to just get one pineapple and sometimes it doesn't even get to full size i've got one as a matter of fact i had it out on the deck until about mid-november i guess and then i brought it in and i was told by my mother-in-law who gave it to me she potted it for me and gave it to me to water from up above you know because in the natural environment obviously the rain so don't you know water down at the soil level but i'm trying my my darndest to keep that thing alive this year i swear i'm going to do it and I bring it outside on sunny days. You know, here in Atlanta, sometimes we're still getting temperatures in the 60s. So keep it in the sun for a couple hours and just try to make it happy. But the key is remembering to bring it back in. You know, I'll go lay in bed and go, oh, I didn't bring that hey. aloe back in. So, yeah, so you had it freeze, which let's talk about that. They really, their growth starts to slow a lot once temperatures get below 60, which doesn't happen yeah. much down there, but it certainly does. So the um, the leaves are kind of a yellow-brown, right? Yeah. Most will probably survive uh, with growth from near the ground line. It's going to take months to uh-huh. produce new plants, but do cut off whatever's brown. Just take that all the way now, back to near the ground. Yeah, I would go ahead and do that because it's not doing the plant any good. If anything, it's just kind of wasting energy. So cut off the brown okay, and make sure, you know, to help it rebound 
how much you can. Keep oh. that soil moist and all of that. Don't let it dry out too much because we don't want to stress it. And obviously, you know, stay ahead of it a little bit better about it. Protect from future freezes. But don't worry about it too much until about March, Charlie. Do you fertilize it? Because that's about the next time it needs to be fertilized when it really starts to well, warm up. They, well, they said after this and if you prune it, don't fertilize it because it'll start putting new growth out. Mm-hmm. If you get another freeze, it'll burn it. So we've held off, held off on fertilizing it. Okay. Yeah, so, March, March for you definitely should be the absolute safe, safe time to go and fertilize. So wait till then to do it. But yeah, cut off, cut off what's brown. I mean, with the stuff that's still kind of yellow, wait and see. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's probably everything's drained from the leaves, but it wouldn't hurt. But if it's it's on its way to brown, then yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll be calling you from time to time throughout the new year. And, well, let uh, me ask you real quick. One New Year's resolution for you. What are you going to do different outside or different with some plants or something this year? You uh, I'm going to try my best to get some, some fresh cow manure to work into the sand. <laughs> hey, there you go. There you go. See, that's a good I resolution. take all my leaves and put them out there and, and till them in. Mm-hmm. But I just need some, you know, I don't want to get horse manure because there's too many seed in it. Yeah. Yeah, you got to be careful. But, you really have to talk to the source of where you're getting it from to make sure there's no chemicals or anything like that. Yeah. All right. And, All right. Uh, we'll keep it goes posted. through the sand pretty quick down here. So, I bet. You know. Yeah, you don't miss this Georgia red clay, though, do you? No, I don't miss. About the only thing I miss about Georgia is up in the mountains when it's in the spring or oh, fall, I mean. Yes, yeah, the fall. fall yeah, fall, October fall, was. Fall, fall. Yeah. I don't like the spring. Too October much was great. <laughs> All right. Well, Charlie, Happy New Year. Tell the wife we said hello. And uh, tell Walter we said hello, too. I sure will here in just a little bit. In about 10 minutes, I sure will. Take it easy. Okay. Waiting to hear from Ron in Sharpsburg. Here he is on the phone right now. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Good morning. I have uh, planted last spring 10 Arbor Vivite trees, and I'm concerned because the neighbor next to me uh about eight years ago, planted a whole row of trees, mm-hmm. and he uses a he used a tree spade, and they removed that protective burlap covering around the base of the tree. The contractor I had put these in did not remove that burlap sack, and I'm wondering, is that going to affect the width and the height or growth of these trees over time, or have caused any other problems? Now, to properly answer Ron's question here, I want to go back to a conversation I had almost a year ago with Walter on how to address this. You never leave the burlap on. I don't care if your landscaper says, oh, this burlap. Oh, yes, they do it all the time because their landscaper says, oh, this burlap is going to rot over five years. It'll be fine. The roots go right through it. Don't leave the burlap on. Don't leave the wire cage on. Another thing you can do when you have ball and burlap trees, many times you'll see that there's been um, twine and rope and things wrapped around the base of the tree. It's almost been girdled just to hold it in place, It's been covered by the the soil down there, and so you can examine that too. Okay, and then uh, they did plant them. uh, Well, we we measured them off the neighbor's trees, Mm -hmm. which are about six and a half feet apart, but they should mesh apart and, you know, creating a big column probably within three or four years, you think? Yeah, probably. They are 10 feet tall to start with. Okay, yeah, yeah. They should fill in pretty well then in three or four years. I mean, when I moved into my house, um, they were already well, well established. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I, I no closer than six feet for sure. So that's probably going to be fine. And make sure they stay watered. I mean, fall and winter is the best time to get trees and new shrubs established for sure but they cannot dry out i mean this is the the beginning of you know it living in your yard for decades so you've got to do it right 
these first few months and really make sure it stays watered and even into the summertime too that's really going to set a trend for the rest of its life so that's kind of on you you know set a little reminder or whatever if it's been a dry week or something go out there and give it an inch of water thank you very much all right good luck ron glad you called 404-872-0750 up in less than 15 minutes is walter reeves we're gonna be talking about birding stay tuned to 95.5 wsb Channel 2 Action News, meteorologist Brad Nitz. Wet weather tapering off later this afternoon. We stay overcast and today's high in the mid-40s. The update on your weekend weather brought to you by Finley Roofing. So yeah, I told you this is the weekend of the great backyard bird count done with all of us, the citizens of the United States and the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. So naturally... Things having to do with birding are going to fall into the show. We're going to talk to Walter Reeves here in less than 10 minutes about that. And it's time for the to-do list. Green Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. So while I'm featuring birding and talking about that this weekend, number one is to encourage you to celebrate the Great Backyard Bird Count, which runs through Monday. And check out nestwatch.org. That is a really cool site for identifying birds and their nests. But I'm going to eventually lead you to the website birdcount.org. That is where we're going to be uh, participating in the Great Backyard Bird Count. Number two, clean out birdhouses and nesting boxes. If you're hoping to attract house wrens to a nest box, don't worry, they've got it covered. The male house wren usually cleans out the old nesting material between clutches doing the job for you. Eastern bluebirds, though, who doesn't want to attract those? They'll oftentimes simply build over an existing nest, so it may be a little helpful to them to clean out those birdhouse, those bluebird boxes. And number three, you've pruned your roses. We're going to talk a little more about that later in the show, but if not, that's okay. If you're going to leave them certain varieties or whatnot, depending on the size, if that's what you prefer, finish spraying those and fruit trees early this month while they're still dormant, and that way you won't hurt any pollinators. So this is going to be a full show for you today. I'm really excited to have Walter Reeves coming up in the next little bit, and we're going to have time for a lot of calls, too, 404-872-0750. And any of the links that you miss, any of the content that you miss, you're always able to go back on wsbradio.com after the show show is over and find on demand and then find green and growing and you can listen back to each hour and I try to also keep up with show notes and things on the Facebook page just search green and growing WSB on Facebook and you'll see uh, a seeding checklist that I'm going to have there after my upcoming conversation with Joe Lample a lot of these resources for the great backyard bird count and so much more one of the things I really enjoy doing is highway horticulture that's a photo album where just periodically I'll post pictures of things that are in bloom and you're often wondering what is that what's the name of that plant or you know what conditions does it like where does it like to be planted in the landscape that it has the most success so the highway horticulture facebook photo album is going to be a good resource for you too all right really glad you're here early on a saturday morning and happy valentine's weekend don't forget the loved ones in your life you don't have to buy them anything you don't even have to spend money on what's what's now an expensive greeting card my goodness those things range from four to six dollars maybe something handmade maybe just a, a nice sentiment over the phone and a text message or in person if you're able to see your loved ones i hope everyone feels the love this weekend and has a really nice valentine's weekend we'll be back you're listening to green and growing on wsb
It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Now, I told you today's show kind of has a theme. We're going to go with birding for a lot of the show and, of course, talk about some other things. But, of course, that's the topic I wanted my guest right now to focus on. It's time to talk to Walter Reeves. Walter's Wondering. Walter's Wondering. The definitive questions and answers from WSB's OG Garden Guru, Walter Reeves. Good morning. Hey, I see. Good morning. What are we wondering about today? wondering if people know how much fun it is to have birds as you can see up close right at your window like I do because I have a suet feeder right outside my sunroom window and boy the bluebirds the woodpeckers come they love my homemade suet you know we talk about house plants and how calming and soothing and relaxing an environment you can create in your home with those and to me birding and having bird feeders out on the back deck that is almost just as tranquil for me and John and I joked back when we were in our, I don't know, late 20s or early 30s, you know, is when we really invested in a good bird feeder and yeah. bird seed and all. And we just said, we're sitting around like old people watching birds. But, <laughs> you know, like it, it's definitely not just for people, you know, that are a little older. Like all of us should enjoy watching birds and just the benefits and the color and the sounds they bring to our landscape. Yeah, sure. So this in the wintertime, the- there are so many birds that you can feed so so closely together. In the summertime, maybe they spread out more. They don't much come to the same place all the time. In the wintertime, suet and a black all sunflower bird feeder, boy, they'll bring the birds all day long. Yeah, they've got to have the stuff with, with the fats in it to kind of keep them, you know, energized and stuff yeah. throughout the cold months. And uh, this weekend is the Great Backyard Bird Count. I've been talking about that. And I'll have uh, Becca Radomsky-Bish on later from Cornell University to tell us how important Georgia's participation is on that and that may be a good little 15 minute project for you this weekend that is going to force you to sit still and off your phone for 15 minutes and watch the birds and try to identify what you've got coming around and like you said walter which birds are attracted to the food you have and then maybe switching it out and trying some new food Um, but let's start with suet because that is something that i've not had good luck with we don't really want to do it in the warmer months because it's going to melt but that's kind of a different a different uh, way of putting out bird food. Yeah, suet is the the traditional way that you get suet is go to the butcher shop, and they use hard fat around the loins and kidneys of a cow or sheep was a suet, and people put it out with uh, nuts and stuff, and those birds would love to eat it. But you don't find authentic suet much anymore. But you can make your own mix of suet at home with uh, peanut butter, cheap peanut butter, cheap lard, or cheap uh, shortening from a store, and you can mix that. Stuff, a large shortening in a, in a pan where you heat it real slowly so it's very melted at low heat. And put some flour, cornmeal, rolled oats, raisins, breadcrumbs, whatever you got. You just put it in there until it's like putty and you take it out, spoon it into a pan, a square pan, and then you got the suet that you need. It's hard when it cools off, it'll be hard. And you can put it into a suet feeder and bring the birds in just like the tr- traditional suet would do. So those suet feeders are very easy to find, just a wiry, square, almost rectangular type feeder that you just insert this block of suet into it, and the birds can get through the wire pieces, so to speak. But the the one bird that I see the most that loves the suet is the red-bellied woodpecker, which is the big one with the red on his head, and he's, you know, big, black and white. They love it. 
you know, red bellies, downies, uh, one of those, the pileated woodpecker occasionally comes. Mm-hmm. We've got bunches of different woodpeckers in Georgia, and they they stay around during the wintertime. Like bluebirds, we don't realize that how much of how many of these birds stay in winter. They don't migrate. So the woodpeckers and the bluebirds are always around, need something rich and full of fat as they can eat to keep their energy up. Yeah, a friend of mine, Carol, who I recently met, and she lives in Canton, she came from Mississippi, and she said since she started serving her homemade suet in Mississippi and now here, the birds don't hardly touch the store suet. So you could really spoil <laughs> them with doing this for very little cost. So we got suet, we talked about that, but I want to talk a little bit about the bird feeders, the squirrel-proof bird feeders, because some work, and some are sorry examples of marketing, I guess. The one that I like the best actually is the one that has a weighted or a very lightly weighted gate. When a bird sits on it, it doesn't close or anything. When a squirrel sits on it, bang, down the gate comes and they can't get any seed out of it. And I only feed black oil sunflower seed. And I have a bird feeder I've had for probably five years outside that the weighted gate, you know, keeps Mm -hmm. the squirrels out. The birds love it. And the black oil sunflower seed is what I think is the best thing to feed songbirds. I agree with that. And I mean, you could have up to this time of year when they're all feeding, like you said, I've got 13, 14, all kind of flying around my squirrel eliminator feeder all at one time. I mean, they are just all different varieties kind of fighting over it. Um, And I don't see squirrels. Uh, Because I have a history with running them off the back deck. I'll just leave it at that. Um, But also I have a 130-pound dog who she the birds don't bother her. But when we say, hey, there's a squirrel, there's a squirrel outside, we open that back door, and, man, she wants to chase it all the way to the wood line. And so squirrels know not to come around my feeder. (laughs) That's funny. The cheap seed that I see from... Well, some of the big box stores, not all of them, but some of the cheap seeds that I see don't use that for goodness sake. The cheap seeds has a lot of stuff in it that the songbirds don't like, but ground feeding birds do. And the songbirds will scratch it out of their squirrel proof feeder onto the ground. And when, it's, when the seed goes onto the ground, then rats and squirrels and chipmunks and things like that will come to eat it. And I don't know about you, but I don't like rats and chipmunks and squirrels too much in my yard. So that's why I only use the higher price, granted, but higher price, good black oil sunflower seed. You know, and you go through the cheap stuff faster because that that little beige bead-like thing that is most prevalent in that millet, you see the birds if you sit and watch the feeder long enough. That's what they pick out and then toss aside. There's very few that'll, you know, feed on it. Like you said, of the ground, maybe a morning dove or some kind of sparrow may come down there and get a blackbird. But yeah, birds that you don't necessarily want, a blackbird and a cowbird, ugh. Exactly. Black hole sunflower seeds, suet. My mainstay is for bird watching during the the wintertime. And you know, if I wanted to identify birds, if you want to identify birds, there's a great book called Birds of Greater Atlanta. That's all if you go to Amazon or online places to buy it. Birds of Greater Atlanta by Anselm Atkins is a super book because it's just about the birds we see here, not the 500 birds you see across the United States. The Birds of Greater Atlanta is a terrific bird identification book. Keep it by the window, keep it by the binoculars if you have your feet far away from the window. That sure is a good book for me. That is, that is, and I've, I've got a couple of favorites as well. But now two birds that I want to talk about and what they eat. Most people can identify these. Well, cardinals, we'll, we'll get back to that. But the two I had in mind specifically because their their feed is a little bit different, a bluebird. Everybody knows what a bluebird is. Yeah. And yep. those goldfinches. I mean, they're bright yellow with some black and white on their wings. Can't miss them. 
Um, so let's start off with bluebirds. I did a great interview with Jim Bearden of Green Meadows Preserve last year, and he builds the nesting boxes, the bluebird sure. houses, 30 or 40 of them um, at Green Meadows Preserve out there in, in the Dallas area. Um, but they like mealworms. And so how do we yeah. serve those up? So there's little special mealworm feeders, or you could put a little saucer of mealworms on the decorating or something. Bluebirds will find it. They will know what they're looking for. You put a little saucer of either the dried mealworms, or some people order live mealworms, and every bluebird in your whole yard, the neighbor's yard, will say, huh, huh, there's, a bluebird, there's a mealworm over there. Let's go get it. They'll come <laughs> to it, and eventually you can train bluebirds to eat mealworms out of your palm, which is a lot of fun to try to do. Ooh, I, that, I may be up for the challenge of that this spring and summer because we have so many. We've got four at a time that, that come to the feeder now. You talked about sunflower and black oil sunflower. American goldfinch, they're attracted to that. Um, but also that Niger seed or yeah, thistle. thistle seed. Yeah, that's yeah. really what they like. But I've found some downfalls with, with that. Have you? Yeah, they never come. Oh, <laughs> well, that's a downfall. I had a yeah. Niger seed just sat there, and the goldfishes sort of ignored it. They came to the suet feeder occasionally, but they never seemed like they liked the Niger seed. It didn't discourage people from trying it, of course. But I haven't had great success in my, na- my particular bird neighborhood with the Niger seed. So those feeders are a little bit different. They're either plastic and a little more skinny tubular shape, almost like that yeah. candy cane that you get at Christmas that has the Hershey's Kisses or the little mini Reese's peanut butter cups in it. It's almost that kind of clear tubular shape or the sock, but it's just yeah. a big enough opening to where they can get these little black pieces out. Um, and it molds. It just molds really quickly. Like if, if you, wet. you know, yeah, you have it out and not enough of them are eating it. It gets wet and it molds and it clumps yeah. together. It's just not... Not pleasant. I'm sure other people have better success than me, but the nitrous seed has not been my main go-to, like the suet and the sunflower seed. Yeah. So I'm going to share the recipe for suet that you and I were talking about on the Facebook page here in just a little bit, Walter. And I also wanted to share um, something I created last year. And since we're doing the Great Backyard Bird Count again, something to share again. It's the birding must-haves list, like the very simple, cheap items that you want to have to start your bird watching adventures. Um, something like very water simple. Water and shrubbery and things like that. Yep, yep. Binoculars. Um, I'll even yeah. put out the name of the book that you recommended. Just things to get people started because that's just something in nature that we don't really stop and pay attention to. But it's so great. I mean, if you move out of a place that you're, you know, maybe you don't really hear or pay attention to the bird sounds, but then you move somewhere maybe into the city where you don't hear them as much, you do miss it. You realize you yeah, don't, you don't really hear do. the hawks. And if you get good at identifying them visually, then identifying birds by their call is another skill you can pick up too. There's a book for that too, and I can't think of the name of it, but it's got a little battery-operated thing on the side of yep. it, and you can literally turn each page and hit a button or type in a number. Like if you're on bird 34, you type in 34 and hit play, and it knows in that book which bird is, oh, and it plays the sound. That's cool. And the Cornell people online have a... Have a nice uh, website too that you could again choose the bird you want to hear and they click the button online. And Cornell has a great bird call identification center. So I've got one website too for folks to visit when they visit the Georgia Department of Natural Resources website. Um, that has seeds for the birds. So you can go both ways. You can actually see what birds you want to attract and then how it feeds and what food it likes or the food that you have bought which birds will be attracted to that. So I'll, I'll yeah. link over to that as well, the, the Georgia DNR site. 
and we can, you know, learn a little bit more about what birds we have and who likes to eat what. But your information has been so helpful in that suet recipe. I can't wait to try it. Mm, it smells so good. Don't eat it, but it really smells good. It's tempting. I mean, like just using Crisco or shortening, that doesn't really sound that that's scary, but I guess but with the cornmeal. Butter, peanut butter, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I'm going to go get some breakfast on this coming break. But, hey, Walter, happy birding. Thank you so much. <laughs> Take care. See you soon. I'm Channel 2 Action News Meteorologist Brad Nitz. Wet weather tapering off later this afternoon. We stay overcast and today's high in the mid-40s. An update on your weekend weather brought to you by Finley Roofing. You know, February just seems to be such a busy month. There's so much that can be done. So a lot of the themes of today's show are kind of letting you know, here we are mid-February, what to go ahead and get out of the way so you can be prepared for spring. And did you catch all that with Walter Reeves in the last segment? I promised a lot on uh, social media, so I'll do it. I'll share the birding checklist that we talked about, just maybe some good uh, things that you need to really fully enjoy the experience of bird watching. Walter's suet recipe. I've got something from the Georgia Department of Natural Resources, a great site and page on uh, bird seed and what they like to eat. So I'll share that as well. And now it's time to not make you feel overwhelmed, but uh, make gardening a little easier. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. I remember when I recorded that rambunctious crowd at a Pike Nursery right before the pandemic hit. It was my first live show at a Pike Nursery. Man, I hope we get back to those. Those are a lot of fun. I love being out and about. All right. So number one, if you've pruned your roses, that's great. Now's the time to do them. If not, that's okay. If you're going to leave them, just finish spraying those and fruit trees early this month while they're still dormant. That way you're not going to be hurting the pollinators as they start coming to those flowers as they open in the spring. And also, whether or not you prune your roses, remove any of the you know dead limbs here and there or leaves that may have fallen down below. If any of those had black spot or any kind of disease, just best to rake that stuff away from the base of the plant. Uh, number two, clean out birdhouses and nesting boxes. If you're hoping to attract house wrens, though, don't worry. They've got it covered. The male house wren is pretty neat. He cleans out the old nesting material in between clutches, basically doing the job for you. Eastern bluebirds will oftentimes simply build over an existing nest, so it may be helpful to them to clean out those bluebird houses. And number three, I am featuring the Cornell Lab of Ornithology on the show this weekend, coming up at the 8 o'clock hour, speaking to them about the Great Backyard Bird Count, which is running now through Monday. So that's just on my to-do list for you, um, to go to birdcount.org and see how you can get involved. It involves downloading a free app, eBird, pretty easy. I showed my mom how to use it, very easy, uh, to count birds just for 15 minutes this weekend. And also a cool site that they recommend, nestwatch.org. That is really good for helping identify birds. And if you see the nests and you don't really know what bird it belongs to, well, that's going to be a good resource for you. All right, coming up. Um, at 7 o'clock here in just a little bit in hour number two, I'm going to replay a great interview I had with a good friend and garden expert, Joe Lample, also known as Joe Gardner. Uh, so helpful and one of the really best-known folks 
about seed starting and how to be successful with it. He's tried it every which way and is really the foremost expert on that. So now's the time to be starting your seed for those vegetable crops in the summer garden that you want. So stay tuned and listen to my conversation with Joe coming up soon here on Green and Growing. Hope you're having a good weekend. You're listening to 95.5 WSB.